May I speak to you in the name of the one holy and living God. Good morning, beloveds, and blessed feast of all saints to all the saints here present. I read somewhere recently, and forgive me because I cannot remember where, though I promise it was a reputable source, that sociologists did a study of friend groups in New York City, and that by and large, Please note the disclaimer and don't come at me with your exceptions, we all have them. By and large, people who were born and raised in New York City find that the majority of their close friends were also born and raised in New York City. And people who moved here find that the majority of their close friends are also people who moved here. Interesting, right? So that got me thinking, what is it about the people who move here that sets us apart? Because it isn't just initially that we don't know how to ride the subway or walk down the street without bumping into people. We figure that out really quickly. What I came up with, and I would welcome your thoughts on this, is that for those of us who moved here, we were searching for community, mostly because for some reason, we didn't fit in in the communities of our birth. Maybe we were a young LGBTQ person whose family rejected them. Maybe we grew up in a place where learning and thinking was not valued, and we thought we would find like-minded souls here. Maybe we came from a rural area, but always craved the energy of a big city. Whoever we are, wherever we're from, we knew at some gut level that we could find community here, somewhere, and somehow. We would find our people. Now, New Yorkers have a reputation in the rest of the world for being cranky and angry, but I don't believe that. Personally, I have always found New Yorkers, as high energy and wacky as we are, to be some of the kindest people anywhere, without a doubt. When bad things happen in public spaces, your fellow New Yorkers are there for you. And why is that? I think it's because we all live on top of each other, so we have to help each other out. Of course, again, there are exceptions, many of them, but by and large, when you live cheek by jowl, You have to find ways to get along. You have to make space for folks who are not exactly like you because there are an awful lot of them about. And you have to find your own community, create your own family in ways that are not required 
when you are born and raised and have stayed in the same general area for your whole life. Finding your core community within a larger reality. Helping out those who are in trouble. Learning how to rub along with everyone, both those who are part of your core community as well as those who are not, regardless of who they are. To me, that sounds an awful lot like Christian community, doesn't it to you? So when we're looking at the gospel today, let's flag right away that Luke's Jesus starts addressing his core group, the disciples, but he does so purposefully in a much larger crowd. His speech is about discipleship and the cost of discipleship. So Luke's Jesus is teaching not only the disciples, but also the eavesdroppers of the story, and the later gospel readers too, including us, the ones who have come after that first generation, how we step into our place among the communion of saints. Today's text is Luke's version of the Beatitudes, likely written after Matthew's was written. Luke's version is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, not the Sermon on the Mount. Why is that? Because Luke hopes to more clearly reference what it is like to be on the ground down among the people, struggling, striving, falling down, getting up, and asking for help. Being a disciple, being part of Christian community, isn't always easy, and it's not even always obvious. It requires a commitment that is not based on blood relationships, but instead on establishing and maintaining mutual trust. Trust with each other, trust in God. A commitment that asks us to be willing to see Christ in every person, even those who are not part of our community. To open our eyes to behold God's gracious hand in all of God's work to push back against the powerful systemic forces that harm others and ourselves as best we can. I could preach a whole sermon just on the last few lines of today's text, turning the cheek and giving your shirt also, but suffice it to say, they are not about being a doormat for Jesus. They are a primer in nonviolent resistance, what John Lewis called good trouble. Justice work is part of being in the Christian community as well. The baptismal covenant that we will all renew today in company 
with those who are being baptized, lays out for us our commitments to God, each other, and to the world. It offers us, like the Beatitudes of Matthew and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, a roadmap of discipleship, a roadmap of how to follow the way of Jesus. But we have another roadmap too, the communion of saints itself. We are not the first to follow this path, nor will we be the last. Our job is not to be perfect in discipleship, but to do the best that we can with God's help so that we, in turn, can offer our example for those who come after us. Today, we will baptize Noah and Lila, two new members of the Christian community. Their sponsors will promise to raise them in ways that will teach them how to follow Jesus. Will their sponsors be the only Christians that Noah and Lila come to know? Of course not. There will be many others as well, some who help and some who hinder. Noah and Lila will slowly have to discern for themselves what it means to them to be disciples, just as we each have. Today, also, this community, the Church of the Ascension, will speak on behalf of ourselves and of other Christians as we pledge our commitment to encourage them, teach them, and be examples for them. Examples of imperfect humans who will always struggle to live into our own vows. Examples of those who have the courage to admit that we need God's help. Examples of people who know that perfection is a fiction that even the most famous saints were all deeply flawed in their own particular ways, and that having the humility to admit when we ourselves need help is part of our commitment as disciples, too. What we celebrate on All Saints Day is that great cloud of witnesses, those that came before us, and those we live among now, and those who will come after. The ancestors of our faith, the living stones here present, and the Christians of the future. It is the feast of all saints, not just special saints. Today we welcome two new saints into the communion, Lila and Noah, we are here for you. We are ready to hold you up. We are grateful that you will be on this journey with us. It is a blessing to welcome you into this fold. I will finish with a prayer from Cole Arthur Riley, 
who wrote a book called This Here Flesh and is the author of Black Liturgies. It feels especially fitting on this All Saints Day and as we go into Tuesday and the elections in our country. Let us pray. God, our ancestor, we give thanks that you are a God who does not sever us from our ancestors, but continually calls us toward habits of remembrance, that you make space to name lineages throughout sacred texts is an invitation to honor story as it stretches across space and time. There are oppressive spiritual teachings that alienate us from our ancestors because their teachers fear their own evil origins. Free us from this. Let us use this day to demonstrate a spirituality that names and honors those mystical members of the divine community we have lost to death. Let us remember those whose bodies endured the deepest evils, that we might ground ourselves in our own bodies, and that we might find our belief more whole. Remind us that those who were excluded in life will not be excluded in death. Our saints belong and are worthy of honor. Amen.